Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to hear from your word. What joy it is to come to a book like Genesis to understand not just the beginning, but the significance of what you have done through someone like Abraham. Lord, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to understand your word. Help me to preach your word faithfully. And may we go from this place as those who have circumcised hearts united to Christ. In his name, amen. Today we return to Genesis 17. And while last Sunday we exposited our way through Genesis 17, as I mentioned, today we are going to do something very different. We are going to address the wider significance and even some of the debate over this chapter. But I want to begin by reviewing just briefly what Genesis 17 taught us. If you remember, back to the beginning of the chapter, with years of waiting in the rearview mirror, God appeared once more to Abraham. But this time he came, and he came with a sign of the covenant that would mark out God's people. We saw that God Almighty confirmed this covenant with Abraham. If you remember back to Genesis 15, God cut this covenant with Abraham. And now in Genesis 17, God comes once again, but this time he's going to confirm the covenant he had already established. And in doing so, he's not only going to confirm the covenant, but he's also going to call Abraham to be faithful to the Lord, to be obedient. In fact, he's even going to change Abraham's name as a pledge of of God's promise. We also saw that God instituted the sign of the covenant. And what is that sign? Circumcision. Now, this is the key question we're faced with today. How does circumcision signify the covenant with Abraham. We touched on it briefly last week, and we learned of two ways. First, to put it negatively, circumcision is something that visibly pictured the curse of the covenant should it be broken, ignored, or perhaps even disobeyed. The act of circumcision threatened the cutting off of Abraham and his offspring should they abandon their relationship with God. But second, and more positively, circumcision, we learned, also symbolized Israel being set apart, devoted to God as priests and as a people, a kingdom 
of priests before God. Now with that said, what significance, we might ask, what significance does circumcision and this covenant in Genesis 17 with Abraham have for the rest of the storyline of the Bible? Have you ever asked that question? You might have noticed that our church name is Fellowship Baptist Church, right? That word Baptist is important. It's important because it sets us apart as a church, as a people from, say, a Presbyterian church. While we may share much in common with a Presbyterian church, say, a shared common belief in the same gospel, or perhaps a same shared common belief in the affirmation of God's sovereignty and salvation, and many other things. While that may be true, and while we may love our Presbyterian brothers in Christ, nevertheless, when it comes to interpreting this chapter, the Abrahamic covenant, we have notable differences, don't we? In fact, these differences are most seen not only in reference to this chapter, but how this chapter relates to baptism. Maybe you've never thought through this before. And if that's you this morning, don't be ashamed. That's what we're going to do together. Now, what does that word Baptist mean? Well, in part, it, has to, it refers to baptism. While we practice believer's baptism, also referred to as credo-baptism, meaning that only those who have been born again as, and who are believers in Christ, who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life, they alone are to be baptized. We affirm that core truth. And while we practice believers' baptism, other churches out there practice infant baptism. Now, I'm going to throw a word at you, and I want you to write this word down and to hold on to it in your mind because I'm going to use it throughout this, the rest of this sermon. The word for this view of infant baptism is called pedo-baptism. Pedo-baptism. So we have believer's baptism or credo-baptism. Credo, coming from the Latin, mean I believe. And on the other hand, we have pedo-baptism. Now, perhaps you've wondered before, what is behind this difference? What's behind this difference? Well, it all comes back to Genesis 17. God's covenant with Abraham and how we understand the meaning and the significance of circumcision. So here is where this sermon this morning is going. We're going to answer, and I have these on your outline in your bulletin, we're going to answer two questions. Number one, how do pedo-baptists understand Genesis 17 and the Abrahamic covenant and the sign of circumcision in relation to the new covenant sign of baptism? Okay, that's question number one. Here's question number two. What is problematic about the Pado baptist view? And how should we 
as a church, understand the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision, in relationship to the sign of the new covenant, believer's baptism. How do those two things relate? So that's our, that's our course, and with it mapped out, I want you to join me as we embark on this theological journey together. So let's begin with that first question. How do paedo-baptists understand the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17, the sign of circumcision in relation to the new covenant sign of baptism? So I want you to think deeply here with me because this is going to take some, some work on our part to understand this difference between these two groups. The paedo-baptist believes that there is just one covenant of grace throughout the whole Bible. It started in Genesis 3.15 and continues throughout the Bible with different individuals such as, say, Abraham or David perhaps. The important thing I want you to note is that the stress here is on continuity, continuity from Old Testament to New Testament. So much so that the Paedo-Baptist believes that the New Covenant is not so much new or different, but rather is the same Old Covenant just administered more gloriously. You still with me? So, the new covenant that the Old Testament prophets spoke of, that Christ inaugurates and, and, and establishes through his blood, is not so much new or different as just more, it's administered more gloriously. It's, the old coven, it's, it's that one covenant administered more gloriously. So, there is just one covenant that remains the same, for the most part, across the whole Bible. Now, why is this important? It's important because Paedo-Baptists stress, remember what I said? Continuity, remember? And they stress it to such a degree that baptism, and this is key if you're going to follow the rest of the sermon, baptism simply replaces circumcision. Let me say that again. Write this down. Continuity is stressed to such a degree Continuity is a good thing, but it's stressed to such a degree that baptism simply replaces circumcision. In other words, while circumcision was given as the sign to Abraham, the significance of the sign simply carries over into our own day, but it has just been replaced by a new sign called baptism. And... Like circumcision in Genesis 17, as we saw, baptism applies to infants and unbelieving children whose parents are part of the covenant community. In other words, maybe we could put it this way. Just as circumcision was a sign that was for you and your children, so is baptism, it's argued. Since the New Testament, it's argued, does not explicitly do away with this 
principle to you and to your children. We, we could call this, you think of a genealogy, right? We call this a genealogical principle to you and your children. Then they argue it must continue just with a different sign, baptism. Now, maybe that's a lot to take in, so let me try to summarize all of this so that we can understand this clearly. Remember, there's just one covenant of grace which has different administrations. Under the old administration of Abraham, the sign was what? Circumcision. But under the final administration, under Christ, circumcision has been replaced with what? Baptism. Very good. Nevertheless, the Paedo-Baptist argues, while the sign has changed, the significance, the meaning, the application of the sign stays the same. Now, what is one implication of this view? One implication of this view is that Paedo-Baptists, given the stress, remember, that they place on continuity, they view the church like Israel in the Old Testament. In what way? They view the church like Israel in the sense that they are both mixed communities. You seeing that stress once again on continuity? I hope so. So, what does this mean? Well, the community is made up of elect and non-elect individuals, they argue. This is seen practically in their baptism of infants into the covenant community of the church. Just as infants, they argue, just as infants entered into Israel through circumcision, so should infants enter into the church through baptism. Now notice, in both Israel and the church, they argue God enters into covenant relation, not only with believers, but with their children, their unbelieving children too. And so, once again, we see there's stress on one covenant of grace throughout the Bible, which is mixed, consisting of both elect and non-elect believers and unbelievers. And so the church then, in this sense, is just like Israel in the Old Testament. Now, all in all, for many paedo-baptists, Genesis 17 and the Abrahamic covenant is in many ways identical with the new covenant in Christ, just having a different sign. And so, they argue, just as Israelites were to circumcise their children, so we are to baptize our infant children as well. And they argue that unless we are explicitly told not to baptize infants, well, then that principle in Genesis 17, to you and your children, that principle first given to Abraham, they argue, still applies since circumcision and baptism basically have the same meaning. In other words, one replaces the other 
for they signify the same reality. Now this brings us to the second question on your outline. And here we're going to start moving forward. What is problematic about this view? What is problematic about the Pado Baptist view and interpretation of Genesis 17? And how should we understand the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision, in relation to the sign of the new covenant, baptism? And as a Baptist church, could we think of a question more relevant to our identity? Circumcision, the covenant sign in Genesis 17 with Abraham, I would argue it is not identical. It's not identical with, nor does it have the same meaning as baptism in the new covenant. This is key to understanding your identity as a Baptist church. Let me say that again. Circumcision, Genesis 17, as important as it is, and we'll see why it's important, it's not identical with, nor does it mean the same thing as baptism in the new covenant. So first off, we must recognize as much as we do see continuity from Old Testament to New Testament, we don't want to undermine that. But nonetheless, there is also what? Discontinuity as well between these two signs. Notice where the Pado-Baptist only sees continuity, we are arguing, no, there's also discontinuity. So, let's take a look at this. The Pado-Baptist argues, remember that circumcision and baptism have the same meaning. And so baptism merely replaces circumcision. And both of these signs anticipate and promise that there is a spiritual circumcision of the heart to come once faith enters into the picture at a point later in time. Now notice what I just said. This is really key to understanding the difference. Circumcision and baptism for the Pado baptists what do they do? They point forward. You with me? Not necessarily backward, forward to a day when that infant will be regenerated and united to Christ. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. The Pado-Baptist fails to interpret both of these signs in their proper context. There's one thing you learn, or you should keep in mind when you're reading your Bible. It's three words. Context, context, and yes, more context. Sure, they have similarities, don't they? And they have parallels, both of these signs. But there's also major differences too, and we can't forget about those. Take circumcision. Not only did circumcision physically identify who the national people of God were in the Old Testament, but it served as a type of something greater to come, a shadow, if you will, of the reality to come. How so? Well, circumcision was a type, first of all, that anticipated the coming of Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Genesis 17, anticipating the the coming of Christ. Every time a male was circumcised in Israel, it signified that he 
was an offspring, a physical offspring of Abraham, pointing forward to the offspring, the seed of Abraham, to come in Jesus Christ. Paul makes this, we won't go there and look at this passage, but Paul makes this very point in Genesis 3.16. Maybe you're familiar with John 3.16, but, um, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.16. Galatians 3.16 is a key passage because there Paul points to Genesis 17 and says it speaks of an offspring who is Christ. So, in being circumcised, and if you were a Hebrew in the Old Testament, this would have been a very common practice every year as babies were born. And being circumcised, every offspring of Abraham, whether it was Isaac who comes next in the narrative in Genesis, or Judah, or King David, whoever it was, served as a type of Christ to come. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, and Luke, in Luke chapter 2, talks about how as a circumcised Jew, he came, he fulfilled in a very important way what Genesis 17 pointed to. The fulfillment of circumcision had come, and its purpose and goal was now reached with the arrival of Christ, which was to maintain, if you ask, well, what, it, what was part of the purpose of circumcision? It was to physically maintain the line of promise all the way from Abraham to Christ, designating the people of God. This is one reason why after Christ comes and being a, a Jew and circumcised, as Luke 2 talks about, it, it, circumcision is no longer necessary. Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament? The person circumcised pointed forward to what has now come. But there's more. Circumcision in Genesis 17 and throughout the Old Testament, it was a type and it was a shadow because it anticipated the greater need for the circumcision of our hearts. The problem was that in the Old Testament, not all Israel was Israel. What do I mean by that? In other words, while circumcision marked off physically and literally demonstrated to the world and to the nations, these are God's people. While it did that, nevertheless, not all Israel was truly born again. This is evident throughout the Old Testament, isn't it? How many times when you're reading through the Old Testament do you notice that on the one hand you have someone who's faithful to the Lord, and on the other hand, you have someone who's just as much a Hebrew. And their heart is dark, unbelieving. What's going on? Well, not all of God's people had a heart that was circumcised. <laughs> you see? This is why 
And, and this, is, this is really what is so new about the new covenant. Every, every, every new covenant believer is circumcised in their heart. Every one of them. That is what is so completely different about the new covenant. That is what the Old Testament prophets kept prophesying about. Joel and, and Amos and Jeremiah and Ezekiel kept saying, they kept looking at Israel and noticing that this mixed community has hard, uncircumcised hearts. And they kept looking forward to a day to come when all of God's people would be circumcised in the heart. Every covenant member spiritually circumcised. That is what the type and the shadow just barely pictured. The much, much greater reality to come. And so physical circumcision, it finds its fulfillment not only in the coming of Christ, but in that implantation of new spiritual life within every new covenant believer. Paul talks about this in Romans 2. He mentions it again in Philippians 3. And I just want to, what I want to do now is I just want to, to show you this reality. I want you to write down some of these verses and go home and, and meditate upon these passages. First, I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. We've read this earlier in the service. And I want to ask this question. Isn't, isn't this what the Old Testament authors prophesied would one day take place? Listen to Deuteronomy 30. This is Deuteronomy 30, verses 5 through 6. Listen to this promise. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. So we have seen that promise made, right? To Abraham, of land to come. But notice what is said next. There's more. And he, God will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise what? Your heart. And the heart and the heart of your offspring. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This is why in the New Covenant, it does not matter anymore whether one is a Jew, physically a Jew, or physically a Gentile. Whether one is physically circumcised. No, the true sons of Abraham, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I am speaking about you, the true sons of Abraham, and those who belong to his offspring are those who have circumcision 
of the heart. They are the true circumcision. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Paul, what has changed? What do you mean it's no longer outward? Paul, here it is. Who's a true Jew? Who's a true Hebrew? Who is truly circumcised? Here it is. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of what? The heart. How does this come? Paul says, by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. People, due to Christ's atoning work on the cross, and due to the the Holy Spirit's regenerating work in your heart, this reality is now here. You're living in it. Do you realize that? Our circumcision is not one made with human hands. It's made with the hands of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this text, which we have read two Sundays now. Colossians chapter 2. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, my, is, this, is this talking about you this morning? You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ. Having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. You see, let me pull all of this together for you now as we bring this to a conclusion. Contrary to what the Paedobaptists might think, Paul, in Colossians 2, he isn't showing, don't miss this, this is, this is key, he is not showing the similarity between physical circumcision and baptism No, that's to miss Paul's point. Paul is showing the similarity between spiritual circumcision and baptism. You see? Paul is making the point that a true son of Abraham and a son of Christ is is, is not one who is physically circumcised, but one who has undergone the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Circumcision, therefore, is fulfilled 
not in baptism, as if one just replaces the other. Instead, circumcision is fulfilled when the sinner is united to Christ, receiving all the promises of the new covenant. Did you notice in that text I just read from Colossians 2 that faith was involved as well? Faith. Baptism signifies that a person has died to sin. Remember your baptism? You've died to sin and you've been raised, made alive with Christ. In other words, this reality is signifying beautifully something that has already taken place in our hearts. And so we can't equate circumcision in Genesis 17 with baptism in the New Covenant. No, baptism signifies a reality within that can only be true of a regenerate believer who has faith in Jesus Christ. So what's our point? What's the point in all of this? The point is this. Circumcision in Genesis 17, it pointed forward as a type, a shadow to the spiritual new birth that you have experienced in the new covenant. And it's something that characterizes not just some, all of God's people. Unlike circumcision, baptism is a new covenant sign that Christ commands and one that bestows divine grace on those who have faith. This, this simply can't be said about circumcision in the Old Testament. In other words, baptism publicly proclaims and declares it, it bear wit, bears witness to the church that this person is someone who has trusted in Christ, who's been united to Christ, whose heart has been circumcised. Baptism sets that person apart. It identifies them as a child of God. That's what happened in your baptism. And it identifies the one who has faith in the Savior. It's for this reason that we as a church are only to baptize those who publicly profess faith in Jesus. For only they have been born again, circumcised in the heart, and can be called the true offspring of Father Abraham. Baptism, people, baptism doesn't merely replace circumcision. No, baptism is a new sign and a new seal of a new covenant and one that is only to be applied to born-again believers who have had the Holy Spirit do surgery on their hearts. After all, unlike Israel, all of God's people in the new covenant are truly born again. And therefore, only God's people should receive the new sign and seal of the new covenant.
What does this mean for our church? What does this mean for Fellowship Baptist Church? Fellowship Baptist Church? Why is this so significant for us as, as a body? For starters, it means that we aim to get baptism right. Lest we miss the beautiful picture, the beautiful gospel picture that it paints for us. You see, baptism in the New Testament is a sign from God and one that signifies what is taking place within you. The regeneration of the Spirit that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. It also displays the cleansing and the remission of your sins. Baptism signifies our union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And when the baptized person, when you were baptized, you received this sign. It, It acts like a seal, assuring you as a baptized individual that God has freely given you new life. And that he has united you to Jesus Christ. This is why so often, that maybe you've asked yourself, why is it that sometimes in the New Testament it can talk about baptism as if it's conversion? Does that make you a little uncomfortable sometimes? You ever notice how Acts does that, the book of Acts? This is why. In the New Testament, so often, the apostles will speak of the two, baptism and conversion, simultaneously and interchangeably. Listen to Paul. This is Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Wow. You see, Paul is describing your union with Christ. Not only in relationship to faith, but to baptism. It is not that Paul is affirming that there's some type of baptismal regeneration taking place, as if the waters themselves somehow save you, apart from faith. No, he's not saying that. Nor is Paul referring to individuals who have been baptized but are not believers, as in the paedo-baptist view. No, he's not saying that either. Instead, Paul has in mind true, genuine Christians, those converted, those clothed with Christ, those united to Christ through faith. And that's why he he can speak of them so simultaneously. So baptism and conversion are used interchangeably at times. For the one is the external sign that signifies That through faith, you have been united to Jesus. And you are now part of the new covenant. You see, unlike circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the new covenant always signifies, and it it, it assumes that faith is present. Otherwise, sorry to say, True baptism hasn't taken place. You've merely gotten wet. Baptism, in other words, is inseparably connected with the gospel. Even picturing the gospel and the fact that it has taken effect in you as an individual Christian. 
I want to mention one other thing before we close. This reflection on baptism also means that we are to make sure we as a church take church membership seriously as well. See, Baptists are Baptists in part because they believe in what is called regenerate church membership. And if you've gone through the membership class with the elders, this is probably a review for you. What is regenerate church membership? That means that all those who are united in membership to the people of God truly are sons and daughters of God. Regenerate. Born again. Converted from sinners to believers. You see, while circumcision in Genesis 17 was applied to Abraham's offspring on the eighth day after after the baby was born, irrespective of whether or not faith was present, irrespective of whether or not that baby would one day trust in Yahweh later on, in the new covenant, in the new covenant, things are very different. Baptism is only to be applied to those who've been circumcised in the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and have trusted in Jesus. For then the new covenant, all, all, all God's people have circumcised hearts. Practically, this means that those who enter with you, enter into covenant with us as a church, are those who have been born again, have trusted in Christ, and have been baptized as a believer. If we as a church were to neglect regenerate church membership, we compromise the purity of the church, and we confuse the world as to what it means to be united to Jesus and to belong to the people of God. In two weeks, the elders will, with much excitement, bring before you two Christ followers who will be covenanting with you in membership. And actually, I'm, I'm so overjoyed that others have also expressed interest since then in doing the same in the, new, in the near future as well. Isn't that a blessing? Are you overwhelmed with joy at that? I mean, I mean does, does that just inside just fill you with excitement and joy? It should. It should, right? After all, the circumcision of Genesis 17 was a type of a much greater new covenant promise. And what's that? The circumcision of the heart. What unbelievable joy and excitement we should have when circumcised hearts come before the body of Christ, baptized and ready to participate and enjoy the riches of the new covenant community. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, this is a complex, even hard subject, one that involves us to really think through the whole Bible, and in this short amount of time, we have tried to do justice to it, though there's so much more we could say. Lord, perhaps we are those who have taken for granted what it means, not just to be a church, but to be a Baptist church. It's so foreign to the culture, even Christian culture. And yet, Lord, when we understand what it means, what a jewel, what a treasure it is to our church. Keeping us pure, reminding us of Genesis 17 and the fulfillment and the circumcision of the heart. We thank you, Lord, that by grace alone, through faith, you have united us to Christ. And as baptized believers, as those baptized as believers, you in us have shown us the gospel and are declaring that gospel to the world. May we go from this place unashamed, bold, and ready, equipped, to share the word of God with the people of God and with a lost world. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.